Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child Mr. President and Mrs. Clinton, Mr. Vice President and Mrs. Gore, and Americans everywhere. A rock, a river, a tree, host to species long since departed, marked the mastodon, the dinosaur, who left dry tokens of their sojourn here. Any broad alarm of their hastening doom is lost in the gloom of dust and ages. I remember hearing that eloquent voice on the morning of Bill Clinton's inauguration, and I grew up listening. And if you are a regular listener to the Lisa Wexler Show, you will also recognize that strong, incredible voice of Paul Robeson. It is such a privilege, really, and an honor for me to be speaking with Dr. Meyer Angelou, who will be appearing in Greenwich for a sold-out already sold-out concert on April 2nd. If you're lucky enough to have been able to get tickets, congratulations to you. Otherwise, you may have to know someone to get a seat. Dr. Meyer Angelou has won the Presidential Medal of Freedmen, which was awarded by President Obama. Her accomplishments are so numerous, but among them, her first book, I Know Why the Cageberg Sings, is an international bestseller for many years. It was required reading certainly by me and probably by you. And She's just an extraordinary woman of accomplishment, of voice, in literature, in humanism, in poetry. Welcome, Dr. Maya Angelou, to the Lisa Thank Wexler you Show. Thank you very much, Ms. Lisa Wexler. So, so, Dr. Angelou, just reading a quick biography of you, mm-hmm. you, you were raped at the age of eight, and you worked in a brothel at the age of 18, and yet you went on to become one of the most important voices but in between, you were mute for almost five years. Yes. Can, can you tell me a little bit about that? The reason well, I, I, I asked, uh, yes. The, the rapist had told me that I was seven and a half, and he said if, um, if I mentioned it, he would kill my brother. My brother, Bailey, was my black kingdom come. It was everything to me. He was brilliant, and I 
said and mean it that my family came closest to making a genius when they made my brother Bailey. And he he loved me, and I loved him. And wherever we were sent, we were always together. So he called me my sister because he knew I was nobody else's sister. He said my sister. And when he was about nine, he read about the Mayan Indians, and he named me Maya. He said, that's your name. You are my sister. And that's how I, And I've been Maya ever, ever since. The, uh, when, when I told him, he said, I had to tell him the name of the rapist. I said, but I, I can't because he will kill you. I was seven and he was nine. And so he said, I won't let him. So I believed him, of course. My brother knew everything, did everything, was wisest. So I told him, and the man was put in jail uh, for one night, one day and night, mm-hmm. and then released. I don't know under what conditions, but he was released. And about three or four days later, the police, the St. Louis police, came to my mother's mother's house and told us that the man had been found dead, and he had been, it seemed he'd been kicked to death. Mm. My seven-and-a-half-year-old logic told me that my voice had killed him. And so it was better if I didn't speak because my voice had the power to kill anybody. And, uh, but but So that that's remarkable, but didn't your brother at the time, seeing you become mute, try and bring you out of it? Oh, my, oh everybody tried. But, but But I knew I could speak to my brother. Because he loved me so, and I loved him so, my voice couldn't kill him. But I couldn't speak to anyone else. I mean, my voice could just go out the windows, out the doors, through keyholes, and kill people. And um, Of course, Dr. Angelo, from my point of view, this may sound very cruel to you, but honestly, I'm not weeping for this man's death. Well, I, I don't know. I, I, I have a, a capacity... And I worked for it, the capacity for forgiveness. And uh, I, I don't forgive the act, but I know that human beings, we do some terrible things to ourselves and to each other. And uh, I, 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 I don't know. I, we'd have to get into a very deep conversation yeah. and have a long time to talk about it before I could explain exactly how I feel about that. Um, the, but you, you, you eventually, after almost five years, you eventually spoke again. Do yes, you remember what prompted you to speak yes, again? Yes, there was a woman in my town, Mrs. Flowers, a black lady, who, who took me to the school, the black school, and she said she wanted me to read all the books in the school, in the school library. There were about 200, two or 300 books I have about 5,000 books in my library at home. But we, I thought there was all the books in the world. Mm. But she's so sweet, and, and she said, I want you to read them. And I had a little a pal, a tablet, and I wrote on the tablet. If whenever ever anybody asked me anything, I would answer by writing on the tablet. So I said, I love poetry, and she let me, and she led me to all the poets, and I memorized everybody. I just memorized sheets of poems, 
And then after about, when I was almost 13, she said to me that I didn't love poetry. So I wrote on my tablet, yes, ma'am. She wouldn't even look at my tablet. And that was so unusual. I mean, she was so gracious. And she pointed at me and she said, you'll never love it until you speak it, until you feel it come across your tongue, over your teeth, through your lips. You will never love poetry. And it was the cruelest thing she could, I thought. She, she was taking my friend from me. Um, but she, she harassed me for months in the street. She'd come to my grandmother's store and pointed at me and said, you'll never love it. And finally, I, I tried. I went under the house. Uh, the store was on stilts, and I went under in the soft dirt, and and uh, and I I I, uh, I spoke, and I found I had left my voice. My voice hadn't left me, mm. and so uh, I I began to speak, and I have hardly stopped since. <laughs> It's um, in in a way, it's a beautiful story. But as I'm listening to this, Doctor Angelo, I, I am thinking to myself: Here is a woman, a young girl, who became a woman of extraordinary will and determination. Yeah. Because, you know, if you bound my my mouth to not speak, I think that would be the cruelest punishment of all. And, and so, to have the will not to speak when you had so much to say. It says so much about your strength of character. Well, I, I didn't think of it. I thought of it as a as a way not to hurt anyone. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't think of it as a you know will of character or anything like that. Um, the when I think that I, I was raised by my grandmother, my mother's, my father's mother, who was so kind, very kind. Woman, very big woman, six foot. When she died, she was over six foot. So when I knew her at three, she must have been about six foot two or three, and she spoke very softly. And uh, I just, I loved her a lot. She was so kind. Uh, I liked her, but I really loved her too. And and when people saw me with her, they would say to my grandmother. So, Sister Anderson, I see you walking around with your shadow as usual. I just, I followed her. She'd say, yes, I I suppose so. If I sit down, she sits down. If I get up to go, she gets up to go. So I guess she is my shadow. But I learned um, kindness from her. And uh, I don't mean indulgence, but I do mean kindness. Dr. Angelou, I I have a question for you. When you write poetry, are you writing primarily to express your voice, or are you writing to communicate to the listener something that you want to say? In other words, is the emphasis more on how you want to express what you want to say or 
to write it so that someone else understands what well, you're trying to say. Pastor, I think it's a bit of both. Um, it is it's what I some some uh, enigma, some some interest, some idea that I want to examine and see what do I really think about that? What's in there? What uh, what what truth is in there? Not just what fact. Because so the facts can obscure the truth. So what truth is in there that I can, I can uh, find? And then, um, if it's true for me, it's a it's a human truth. Because I know that human beings are more alike than we are unalike. So if I can find a truth, then uh, it will be of some use, not just to me, but to uh, a white woman in Des Moines, Iowa and a Jewish man in Brooklyn, and a Chinese girl in, in uh, Kowloon, and an African-American man in Boston. It will be the truth, if it's the truth. If it's the truth, it's the truth. I, I loved your poem on the morning of Bill Clinton's inauguration. First of all, I loved hearing poetry in public mm. and and it struck me that i hadn't heard it in public in a very long time i think yours was the first poem read in an inaugural since jfk i was too little to remember that i was only three yes. but even in general in public life i think we've come away from hearing poetry a lot and uh, maybe with the rare exception of your voice and i was just wondering as you were crafting that poem on the morning of, in 1993 what were your what were some of the inspirations that well, went through you when i was i was uh, told uh, by mr clinton's uh, people by his cabinet that uh, he had been informed that he could have a poet from anywhere in the world to write a poem for him for his inauguration and that he had said then ask maya angela mm. and uh I, I said, thank you, yes, of course. I always say yes to the good thing. I, I, I say yes immediately. And then then I began to pray, go to every pastor, preacher, priest, rabbi, imam, <laughs> small children. I go to everybody and say, what do you think? And ask them, give me your ideas. And um, in, in the, I wanted to, to say something that would would speak to all of us, all human beings, all of us, all Americans. And uh, I'm happy to have written that. A few few years later, United Nations asked me to write a poem for the the, uh, celebration of the founding of United Nations, a poem for for the world, and I wrote a poem called The Brave and Startling Truth. And, uh, and the same thing, I, I did my best to see. I am I am six foot tall. I'm black. I'm an American. Uh, and I'm 82 years old now. I'm also five foot three, and I'm Jewish. And uh, I escaped the Holocaust, and uh, I'm now 89, and uh, I'm also Chinese, 
and and I'm 32 years old, and I have never been outside of China. I am everybody. Mm-hmm. I refuse to be between to have my life narrowed down into some mean little tunnel because of someone else's ignorance and someone else's whim. I'm not. So, yeah. so I feel I I represent every human being, and every human being represents me. And, uh, and I, I won't have it otherwise. Well, I, I'm curious then, Dr. Angelo, because, I mean, that's really an extraordinary uh, way to be able to look at, at people and a way to be able to look at everything. I'm, I'd love to know what is because of your history and your political involvement, and I know that uh, the day of your birthday, April 4th, by the way, happy birthday coming up. I don't want to give you Kainahara, as we say in Yiddish, but, you know, it's coming up soon enough to wish you an early happy birthday. But I know that that was a very sad day because that was the day Martin Luther King was also shot. And you apparently, what I read is that you sent flowers to Coretta Scott King every Every year on your birthday on that day yes. until well, she died. Talked, uh, we became sister friends. Yes. So I was wondering what your view is now as someone who has a politically involved background and saw so much happen in the last 80 years about your view of America's progress in terms of caring for its own people. How do you think we're doing? We're doing pretty well. We're doing very well, actually. Uh, we're not doing nearly as well as we should and could and must. But um, I look at us, and, and I realize that the president, however he is uh, believed and, and besieged, he is an African-American in the, in the White House. I see that uh, there are African-American men and women who had some of the uh, corporations and some of the the universities and great learning uh, institutions of our country. I see that we've come a long way. I know we have so far to come. I see this whole group of people still trying to to in, 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 in encourage us to to a, a kind of polarization. And and I think of Martin Buber, a great philosopher, who helped wanted to help us. And did help us, helped me, in any case, to see um, that uh, human beings are more alike than we are unalike. That we are stupid if we in, in, insist upon I and they, me and them, us and those. That's stupid. It's just stupid. I think wasn't Dr. Buber quoted? Maybe I got this wrong. I always confuse it with Hillel. But if I am not for Myself, who am I? If I'm not for them, who am I for me? Do you know, exactly. you, you know which phrase I'm talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Yes. But, and, and I had the, the great pleasure uh, in, in the middle 50s to be in uh, Israel, and I went by his house. I thought, really? I was so excited. Wow. I, I uh, was there with the opera company, and I taught dance at the Habima Theater oh my in God. Tel Aviv. Oh my! God. And I, I, somebody told me that he, there was his house, and the very idea was a groupie. <laughs> That's amazing, and I and I understand that 
reading in your biography you lived in Cairo for a while, exactly. that you were a writer there too. Exactly. And, and my goodness, Dr. Yes. Maya Angelou, you really are uh, a woman of the world and for the world. Yes, I am. I'm well, to be. I, uh, I know that you're coming to Greenwich to hear gospel yes. and some of your favorite spirituals. Yes. Paul Robeson's one of my favorite voices, okay. truly, growing up. I mean, and I always put him on the radio, not, I mean, on my CD, to, um, to cry. In other words, I feel like I need to hear his voice to cry sometimes. It helps yes. me. Yes. Um, I'm wondering, what are some of your favorite spirituals? What will you be selecting? Do you know? Well, I, I, I've already asked for some. I don't know. I asked for a number. And so I'm just, uh, some of the, uh, the, the spirituals, the, the poetry is so great. Uh, that One of the most poignant lines in poetry is a line from a spiritual of the 18th, 19th century early 1800s, which is, uh, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Yeah. And you think of the slave, uh, sold, bought, wrenched from his country, from her country, and put onto slave ships, and forced to lay spoon fashion in the filthy hatches of the slave ship in their own and in each other's excrement and urine and monster menstrual flow and body sweat. And, and these people said, Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like I'm a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. A long ways I doubt it too, Doctor Maya Angelou. It's um, it's been a real privilege for me, and I want to thank you. I could talk to you for a long time, but I'm afraid Mrs. Clay would get angry with me. I thank you very much. I, it's been. Please come and say hello to me when I come. I will. Please come backstage and say hello. I will, Doctor Angelou. Thank you. Thank, thank you thank so you much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for being on the Lisa Wexler Show today. Planning for your next trip. Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at Lisa at LisaWexler.com.